As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan, or welcome if it is your first time listening to the show. This is a podcast all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network, and I am your host, Meg Linehan. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic, covering the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL. For the first time since this podcast launched, we actually have a U.S. Women's National Team roster for an upcoming game. So John D. Halloran of The Equalizer and one of my favorite people in this world of women's soccer. I know I say that a lot about about a lot of people, but John absolutely is on this list. Um, he joins this week to go position by position through the call-ups, talk through the tension of trying to build an 18-player Olympic roster while also keeping an eye on the 2023 World Cup. And plus, we get into some NWSL talk as well. First, let's get you caught up on all the news of the last week. There is a lot. This is not going to be comprehensive by any stretch. Now, the whole point of the podcast this week is roster talk, but if you did miss the announcement or all of the articles about it, here's who's got the call for the Thanksgiving trip to the Netherlands. For the goalkeepers, we have Aubrey Bledsoe of the Washington Spirit, Jane Campbell of the Houston Dash, and Alyssa Nayer of the Chicago Red Stars. For defenders, we have Alana Cook from PSG, Abby Dahlkemper from the North Carolina Courage, Tierna Davidson from the Chicago Red Stars, Crystal Dunn, now of Portland Thorns FC, Kelly O'Hara, still with Utah Royals FC, Midge Purse of Sky Blue FC, Becky Sauerbrunn, again, Portland Thorns FC, and Emily Sonnet of Orlando Pride, who was currently over in Sweden, actually. All right, for midfielders, Julie Ertz is back from the Chicago Red Stars, Lindsey Horan, Portland Thorns, Rose Lavelle of Manchester City, Katarina Macario from Stanford, Christy Mewis from the Houston Dash, and Samantha Mewis from Manchester City. For forwards, we've got Ashley Hatch from the Washington Spirit, Tobin Heath of Manchester United, Alex Morgan currently with the... <laughs> Still in England with Tottenham Hotspur, Kristen Press with Manchester United, Sophia Smith of Portland Thorns FC, and Lynn Williams of the North Carolina Courage. 
right? The team will head over for a six-day camp, followed by the rematch of the 2019 World Cup Final against the Netherlands on Friday, November 27th. If you are in the United States, that match will be on ESPN2 and TUDN at 12.30 Eastern. The other big news this week is we actually have a plan for the NWSL in 2021. The league released its competition format for the next season. Preseason starts February 1st. The league will bring back the Challenge Cup. This time the tournament it will actually kick off in mid-April before the regular season starts in mid-May. Six teams will now make an expanded playoff structure, while the top two teams on the table earn a bye through the first round. The championship is also scheduled for the weekend of November 20th, 2021. And no, I do not know when the actual NWSL schedule will be out. Got a whole new brand for the Houston Dash, which dropped this week, as well as the MLS team over in Houston. And I have plenty more on that front over at The Athletic. But the big takeaway for me as I as I talk through uh, the brand and, and what's going on in Houston, it wasn't actually the new crest, which, side note, I do actually like, though I also think I ultimately like the elements on their own even more. Um, but how the organization is putting the men's and women's first teams on the exact same level, a lot of good stuff from their chief marketing officer for both the Dash and Dynamo in that story. And while the Dash and their supporters maybe don't have quite the same level of angst, as uh, exists on the MLS side, especially amongst the Dynamo supporters, it is definitely an interesting time for that organization and the work that has to happen on the field, but also now how they live this brand refresh as part of their organization. And finally, FIFA announced this week that the under-17 and under-20 Women's World Cups, which were originally supposed to happen in 2020, then were postponed to 2021, were canceled. Costa Rica and Indian India kept their hosting rights to these two tournaments and will now host the 2022 editions of both of these tournaments. But it is a tough blow for all of the youth teams. You know, the U.S. already had qualified for the under-20s under Laura Harvey, but it's especially tough also for countries who are going to benefit from these sorts of development opportunities before the World Cup field expands in 2023. So as I said at the top of the show, John Halloran and I discussed the U.S. Women's National Team roster, the NWSL's plans for 2021, and the state of NWSL coverage, plus a few other things in the mix there, uh, including our favorite moment of a strange 2020 in women's soccer. So here's John. All right, let's talk talk U.S. National Team. It's been a while since we've had a game day roster, right? What are what are... What are we thinking? Like she, she believes, I think, right? Right. Yeah. Since March. I mean, obviously we got the October camp roster, but not a, not a full, like, Oh, people are actually going to play in a game. And the fact that also this game is actually against the Netherlands, like we're getting a 2019 world cup final to end the year, which let's maybe start there before we even get into this roster. How much do we actively care about the results of this game? I, I don't think you can care much at all, to be honest. I mean, it's right. I mean, you, you've got you have players. That's on how this I roster. feel. But like, I just want to the expectations of this team are like a win, always a win, always right. a win. Right. I look at this and I'm like, they haven't played for 261 days. Why are we caring? It's just get them back out on the field. Let them have fun. Right. And some of these players have played three games or four games in the past eight months. So you're certainly not going to see the best out of them at an individual level either. Right. So you feel comfortable saying result doesn't matter fundamentally. Absolutely. And honestly, I feel that way in most most friendlies. I think 
the U.S. is in a different position, one, because, you know, as you talked about, the expectations are always sky high. And anytime you lose a game, it's, it's almost like the sky is falling. Um, right. I mean, yeah. you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, I can remember sitting in in I think it was Los Angeles in 2017 and they had come off of a, a loss to Australia in that 2017 right. Um, summer tournament. Gosh, I can't even yeah, remember. Tournament of Nations. <laughs> yes, tournament of and, Nations. And that was, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, uh, this team's never going to be able to win the World Cup, even though you're, <laughs> you're two years away from the tournament. So I get that. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of those, those fall, um, fall friendlies and uh, in, those, in those December, January uh, games that happened at the end of 2019, early 2020, where they had played those, I think it was four games over in Europe. I think they played two in November and, and two in yep. January. Right. They lost to France and everybody freaked out. And it was just so, so overblown. And, it, you know, I think there are times when you knuckle down with your first roster, you know, maybe in a She Believes Cup or a Tournament of Nations. And then there are other times that this is just a friendly. This is just a one-off. We're clearly not going to be able to put, you know, our best team on the field. Um, in those types of games, I think if you're the coach, you got to look at that situation and just, and just take it for what it is. And I think that with these games, you're certainly looking at a situation where this is just an opportunity to get everybody together to train, play a game and, and get what you can out of it. Okay. All right. So with that expectation set, and I think it is, I think it's fair for that expectation to be set of, you know, and this is what I wrote about in my story yesterday after the, the roster got released is that I personally am looking at the changes that Flacco makes, right, Mm -hmm. in terms of who might see time on the field, even who's getting called in. So let's actually now get into the the, the roster itself, and we can just start with the one that obviously a lot of discussion revolved around, and it's the three goalkeepers that -hmm. are making the trip to the Netherlands. So Alyssa Nair, obviously, but then Jane Campbell and Aubrey Bledsoe making this trip with Ashlyn Harris not getting this call up. And, you know, I think even the suggestion, like when I when I broke that part of the roster the night before, the suggestion that this is maybe the first step of how do you find that new depth piece for this national team, which I don't think should necessarily be a surprise to anyone. I don't think anyone is expecting Ashlyn Harris to necessarily be on this team by the time the 2023 World Cup rolls around, right? So there is the navigation of the Olympics and and building a roster for the Olympics versus having to look a few years down the line now for 2023. And I think the goalkeepers selected for this camp reveal that challenge more than any other position. The goalkeeper position, I think, is such a weird one, too, when you talk about the U.S. team, because it's essentially a fight over who's going to be the backup. And it was that way when, when Hope Solo was the goalkeeper and it's kind of that way. Now, you know, people get really worked up about who are the three goalkeepers called into camp when everybody, you know, pretty much knows that, that one of them is going to get 95% of the minutes in any, in any sort of game situation. So I think it's a good sign for Aubrey Bledsoe and, and Jane Campbell. Uh, I don't think it necessarily means anything regarding Ashlyn Harris or, or Adriana French. And French, French was hurt in October, I believe, but I don't know if they made specific mention of that in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So Vlaco, so what was, I thought was interesting about the release that was, that was actually sent out as part of the, the roster was the fact that 
you know, usually we get kind of this rundown of here's who's hurt, here's who's not available, here's who's maybe opted out of things. And we did not actually get that rundown for October. But when Vlaco talked to the media, he did say, okay, you know, actually we have six goalkeepers that at least six, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed how he said we have six. And then he's like, no, wait, at least six Uh, goalkeepers that are essentially on his list. French is obviously in that mix. He does expect her to be back at 100% ahead of the January camp. It's just a matter of her not being ready for this. But yeah, I do think that it is very interesting that, you know, I think, and we've seen this in the NWSL, there are certainly a lot of candidates for people who arguably could still also be called up. I mean, Portland right. alone, you could call up that entire goalkeeping pool, I think. Right. And and he specifically mentioned uh, Casey Murphy on the call too, mm-hmm. which, I, you know, that's a good sign for her because anytime that, you know, you hear your name come out of the national team coach's mouth, then at least, you know, you, you know that he's thinking about you and that right. you're kind of in his thought process. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot. And, you know, the one I kept thinking about, too, when he was saying that there's six keepers, and as you mentioned, how he's correcting himself was, you know, it wasn't that long ago that even Abby Smith, who is now a backup, essentially, was in that pool, too. So the U.S. is, you know, whether it's men's, women's, uh, has always produced good goalkeepers, and there's a ton of depth. And, and in a position, honestly, again, if, to kind of wrap it all back to the beginning, that you don't really need depth. You need one goalkeeper and maybe two. Right, right. And I think that's that's the position where you're thinking, okay, Alyssa Mayer, what's the situation going to be for 2023? But also that's not a decision that needs to be made in November of 2020 right. at this point, right? Like that's not, this is a goal. This is one of the, the things where, and this is maybe what's gotten the U.S. national team into trouble a little bit, but it is a decision that you can maybe kick down the line a little bit and say, are we still looking at our same number one goalkeeper for 2023? Of course, if something does go sideways on the team, then you are stuck in a position where the transfer of goalkeeping power <laughs> turns into yeah. one that could be a spot of trouble. But, you know, assuming that everything, you know, like knock on wood, right, let's let's not jinx anything, but assuming that you're going in the same direction that the team has been going in, Nayer is pretty much set and ready for you. So, right. Um, all right. Let's move up the field. What what jumped out to you from the defenders that are heading to the Netherlands? Anything in particular? I think it was good that Tierna Davidson was was in there because, you know, she has struggled off and on with some nerve damage in her foot going all the way back to that injury that she suffered in uh, training during the week leading into the final, uh, the NWSL final last fall. And that's something that's kept her out of camps. It's kept her out of NWSL action. It's, you know, she's been in and out, uh, you know, of, of training. And so I think that's because personally, I believe that she's the future. I think she's like the, the natural replacement for Becky Sauerbrunn, you know, whenever, whenever that changing of the guard takes place. And I do think that the team is, is, has a great core defensive unit, but that is one position where I think they are lacking a little bit in depth. And, you know, Tierna being healthy is big because, you know, when you look further down the the center back pool, as well as the outside back pool, which we can talk about too, but I just don't think there's quite as much depth in those positions. Yeah, let's let's talk about outside backs. I know uh, the Midge Purse discourse has been (laughs) (laughs) strong in 2020. Vlaco really did take a lot of time to Walk me through his side of it, right, in terms of what he's looking for. I think, you know, the benefit with Vlaco is that you know 
that he is watching the NWSL and he is right. taking, you know, like, yes, it became a meme this summer at Challenge Cup. He is taking notes. He's seeing what's working, how they're performing in the systems that are expected of them in their NWSL teams. But when we talked about Mitch Purse, you know, he had watched that same NWSL game that I had just been out with Sky Blue against Chicago, right? And watching Mitch Purse go up against Casey Short and seeing how she got to the end line, seeing her crosses, right? Like that was a real area that he wanted her to develop in. Where are you at in the in the Midge Purse <laughs> discourse of 2020? I guess let me start with the kind of the coach's perspective on this, that I think that a lot of people need to realize that there there are a lot of transferable skills between outside back and forward. And I know that seems bizarre to think that, you know, because there are positions that are on opposite ends of the field, but in terms of um, having that attacking mindset as a modern fullback, in terms of having confidence to take players 1v1 down the line, serve balls in, uh, in terms of usually both of those positions are positions where you want somebody with a little bit of pace. So definitely pacier forwards can be converted. Um, and we saw this over and over and over again during the Jill Ellis era, whether it was Sofia Huerta or Midge Purse or Taylor Smith is another one that comes to mind. These right. forwards that they, they try converting. Um, but in Midge Purse's case, um, unless it's a crystal done situation where like, this is the way that you get her into the first 11, I don't really understand it. Um, and, and I don't understand it when it's happened on the club level either, because it seems to me from watching her play both positions that she's just a far superior forward. So if this right. is the only way she can get into the camp, I get it. But otherwise, no, from a pure positional standpoint, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I mean, I think the question becomes, is it the only way that she gets into the camp because the U.S. Women's National Team is just so deep at forward right. and she can't necessarily make her way in? But then also, and, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but, you know, seeing Ashley Hatch called in, right? Like, he's certainly considering the depth of pool, right? But right. then I guess the question becomes, I think Vlaco, and we might as well just skip to forwards here for a second. Vlaco has a very particular idea of what he wants a nine. Like, he clearly has a role that he wants to fill in terms of a nine on this team. And so I think that's why we're seeing Lynn Williams in, Ashley mm -hmm. Hatch in, right? Midge Purse doesn't necessarily fit that. So is she up against certain other people on the wing maybe. And that's why we're seeing, okay, he wants her on the wing and thus the only way to make that happen is the conversion into a full, into an outside back. 
Right. And that's the part that I completely get. And that's, you know, again, to kind of look at recent history of the U.S. women's national team, you saw that, I think, a little bit with Julie Ertz when she kind of got pushed out of the center back pool. And then the the obvious solution, although it maybe took a little bit longer to actually happen, seemed to be playing Julie Ertz in the midfield. And then that kind of solved both problems. Right. Um, so, right, we, we've seen this. And, you know, we mentioned Dunn already, but that's another one where at least in – you know, 2018, it didn't seem that Crystal Dunn was going to work her way into the starting 11. And so you've got this problem at left back and she had had a ton of experience in college and with the U20s as playing as, you know, whether that was center back or outside back, um, make the move. So again, you're, yeah, I mean, we're kind of repeating ourselves, I suppose, a little bit here, but if that's the way you make it work, then that's the way you make it work because the U.S. women's national team is the pinnacle for these players. So I'm sure they're willing to do whatever they can to get into the squad. Right. Right. All right. So, uh, let's, let's move into that midfield. I think this is obviously the, the toughest part of, you know, I think what's so interesting about this team is that we thought we had such a handle on the midfield leading into the 2019 world cup. I mean, it was so Mm -hmm. locked with Haran Lavelle and Ertz. And then, all of a sudden Sam Mewis is starting World Cup games, right? So that's like surprise number one. But you already have these this core four and three spots. And that's already like a giant battle. To then, yep. you know, so the question becomes, I guess, sometimes we look at it as more like a depth, like Andy Sullivan, right? Potentially being that depth piece for the number six. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Christy Mewis and where you think Christy Mewis might fit in to this team's plans. Obviously, I think the player potentially of 2020 Christy Mewis in terms of an NWSL, you know, just challenge cup, but coming back and, and showing that she is at that level. Um, where do you see Christy Mewis potentially fighting her way on to a, a more permanent place in this midfield? Yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it because it is so incredibly deep at this position because we essentially have, uh, you know, or the U S essentially has four starters, to start with. Uh, and then if you add Sullivan getting back, now you're at five. Now you got Macario perhaps right. sliding in there. And it sounds like <laughs> she is very, very, very close to getting yep. the go um, from FIFA. So that's six. And if you're, if you're breaking it down by, by position and you're playing a four, three, three, you're probably looking at bringing six midfielders. Um, so, you know, I think Mewis is, is fighting for that fifth or that sixth spot, if we're being honest. And you're right. She had an amazing season. Uh, it was nice, I think, for, for a lot of us who've seen her play, you know, going, I think 2013 was her national team debut. And, you know, she really looked like she was the future. And then whether it was injuries or kind of getting moved from club to club to club or living in that weird hybrid universe where you can almost play too many positions. So coaches right. don't know where to play you. Like yep. she's the Christy Mewis left back experiment right, of the right. Tom Sermani era. Yeah. Le- left wing as an eight, like where do you know? So she kind of got stuck uh, for a multitude of reasons in this purgatory uh, between, I think probably 2014, the you know, midpoint of 2014 all the way up until really this, this spring. Right. All right. Let's let's talk Macario. First, I just like to get a sense. I asked Annie Peterson the same question. Like, you know, she gets a spot on this roster. Uh, she can't actually play in the game. The paperwork is not done. They have the physical passport for her now. Now, the only thing standing between her 
and actually playing for the U.S. Women's National Team is the eligibility paperwork from FIFA. I did enjoy I got a random mention from someone who was just like, there's got to be some senator somewhere that can rush this paperwork. And I'm like, I don't think you know. <laughs> That's not how this is happening. Um, but Macario already, I think, has a good amount of weight on her shoulders when it comes to the expectations of her being the potential future of this team. Where are you at in terms of her stepping in? You know, like there have already been a lot of questions on a lot of these media calls for U.S. soccer about is this going to happen before the Olympics, right? Like she is expected to compete for a roster spot immediately, essentially. Do you think she's capable of of upsetting the uh, the balance? I think she's capable, but the honest, the honest answer is that none of us really know for sure. Everything that we've seen is her playing against college level competition, which just is not the same. And, you know, as somebody who, you know, kind of came into the media side of things on both the men's and the women's side, I can tell you that I've seen, you know, at least 10 of these, this is the next player uh, on the men's side who never ended up doing anything of note. For, for the men's national team. So I don't think that anybody can say for sure. I think that everybody has seen the, the same YouTube clips or, or gifts or, you know, maybe you do actually sit down and, you know, I actually do sit down and watch Stanford play sometimes. Um, and she's, she does look like, potential, you know, a, a perhaps talent, but until if she had was playing in the NWSL right now and just wasn't FIFA eligible, we would have a much, much, much better idea of whether or not she was capable of competing on this level, because I don't really think there's a big jump from the NWSL to the international level, but from college to the international level, you're talking about a giant. Right. You know, just as somebody who's, who's always loved watching college, you know, as dominant as players like Kristen press college days, it took them a while to move into that professional or international level. And so it will not shock me if, you know, it takes a few years to get to that point. Right. Although perhaps encouraging for 2023, right? Instead of maybe looking yeah. at, at the Olympics this summer, you're looking at it as the ultimate goal is 2023 on her. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get back into the forwards. Uh, Alex Morgan is back. Um, not sure if you, how much WSL you have been watching. I know you are a morning person, though, so maybe you <laughs> have been tuning in. A little in. bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alex is back. You know, Sophia Smith, I think, is another name that I think is a very interesting call-up in terms of her, you know, starting to, to assert herself in the player pool. Um, what, what stood out to you on the forward line? I think the biggest thing was that uh, Ashley Hatch, Sophia Smith, and Lynn Williams both got the double call up, right? That they got called into the October camp and then they got called into the November camp that been with uh, Kaylee Watt and Bethany Balser. So um, obviously Hatch and Smith and Williams had done something. It's probably a little unfair to be honest to be to say that uh, Williams is in that group because she obviously showed up in the spring. Um, I think Williams Williams is probably right there. I think it's probably Williams or Morgan. Uh, for who's playing there. I know Vlaco had mentioned that he thought Morgan was 45 to 60 minutes fit on the call yesterday. So 
Um, I would expect we see Lynn Williams in that in that nine spot um, for the game, assuming assuming everything goes to plan. All right. So as we've been discussing all of these roster call ups and everything, like I think the main theme here is continuity versus you know. So essentially, like Olympics, like planning a roster and call ups for the Olympics versus what might potentially be in the works for the full cycle ahead of 2023. Right. And before we get into the actual like mechanics of how that might look, first I want to talk about a thing that I think has really struck me over the past few days as we start to think about this is kind of the existential angst (laughs) of people who follow this team watching younger players come up, right? This is, and we see this every cycle, right? Like after 2015, there's a changing of the guard, which is a term that you use, like thinking about Becky Sauerbrunn and who's eventually going to take that center back spot. Right. Fundamentally, this is kind of the way this team works, right? The way sports work is that you're never going to kind of keep the band together for as long as possible. But I think maybe it's worth spending a little bit of time in terms of some of these players who are not in the picture right at the moment, whether that's through injury or whether that's through, you know, I'm thinking about like Megan Rapino, right. Who has basically mm-hmm. just said like, I don't really want to play in a pandemic. Right. I have all this other stuff going on, but I don't also really want to play in a pandemic, which seems fair. Um, Flacco said on his call that he's had really good conversations with both Carly Lloyd, who does have an injury and apparently had surgery, which was not, Right. I think public knowledge before right. the other day, um, but also Rapino. And in terms of thinking about them for January camp, it also does not necessarily seem like a lot is going to necessarily change in this country when in regards to the pandemic between now and January. But, you know, maybe we might turn the tide. Um, what, where, how much change do you think is reasonable to expect? now-ish, ahead of the Olympics, versus, you know, now the way that the cycle timeline has been changed ahead of 23? I definitely think, you know, obviously it'll be more because of just what you mentioned. And and honestly, let's just say it like this. There's an extra year in between, right? So there's a year for players to be a year older. There's a year for players to fall out of form or other players to come into form. Um, so some of that is, is very kind of a natural process. The other issue that people don't really think about a lot when they think about an Olympic roster is that it's smaller. Um, and so honestly, you could actually see every single player that is on the actual roster be a player from the, the 2019 World Cup, and that would not be shocking at all. It's more about who you don't see on that roster, who I think uh, is, is where kind of the discussion is really about who are the alternates or who doesn't make the final cut, because that's always the trick between a World Cup year and an Olympic year. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I mean, if we want to talk about existential angst about roster turnover, for me personally, like Heather O'Reilly being one of my favorite players, right, to go mm-hmm. from 2015 into 2016 and kind of watch that process happen naturally, right? Um, is something that that sticks with me in terms of like this is kind of how you see the end coming for a lot of these mm-hmm. players. But I think it is in much starker relief this year simply because the timeline has changed, right? So it really does become do these players have the ability to 
force their way into an 18 player roster. Yeah, I don't it. think there yeah, I don't think there would have been any change at all to be totally honest with you. I think if if we had gone into a normal 2020 Summer Olympics, I think you would have seen, you know, the bottom five players from the World Cup roster dropped off and that would have been that. That's your roster. Um, I think that's going to change a little bit. But honestly, the one thing I think that the biggest I, perhaps uh, again, this is all theoretical, I suppose, but from 2020 to 2021 is that I think if the Olympics had been held in 2020, Carly Lloyd would have been the starting forward for the U.S. national team in the Olympics. Um, and now I think that question is a lot murkier heading right. into a 2021 Olympics. Right. All right. On that note, let's shift gears entirely, completely entirely. NWSL just dropped the 2021 plans, right? Which also, let's just start with the fact that we're it's November, and and we are actually getting plans for 2021. <laughs> we should call a win a win. When is the schedule coming out, Meg? I know, like I just finally so like for tomorrow when people actually listen to this podcast, my Wi-Fi has been in and out this entire time. So I just finally looked at my actual Twitter feed and actual NWSL teams are like, Meg, where's the schedule? And I'm like, this is what my life is now. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Washington <sighs> Spirit. I did not ask for this. But we actually now have some dates to consider. Uh, February 1, beginning of preseason, we are getting the return of Challenge Cup um, at the start of the season. And then regular season will begin mid-May. We have a date for the NWSL Championship, which is the weekend of November 20th. So that, that matches the original plans for this year, had we actually had a season. Um, and we're also getting expanded playoffs from four to six teams. So let's let's just actually start with the format itself. Are you surprised by return of Challenge Cup? Are you, are you pleasantly surprised by it? I'm glad it's back. Um, I had... I had talked or written, I can't remember a little bit when the Challenge Cup originally ended, that I think the best idea going forward with the Challenge Cup is to hold it in World Cup and Olympic years to let a lot of players who maybe don't normally get a shot, uh, get a shot, get some playing time, give some coaches some opportunities to play some games that are lower stakes, rotate their roster, try new ideas. Uh, keep some focus on the domestic league while the big international tournament is going on. Uh, you know, hopefully schedule the games around the U.S. games so you don't double up in that way. But I do think that there's there's a big opportunity because we know that U.S. players tend to go into camp very early. And the league goes on for a few weeks and then the league shuts down for a few weeks. And then it's a few more weeks before the U.S. players come back. So you really have, in a lot of these years, a two-month uh, to 10-week gap to fit something like this in. So you could definitely do this. And I 100% think that they should keep doing it. Um, I think that uh, this year, it seems like it is much more um, being used as a way to kind of, uh, I don't know, um, ease their way into a season, which seems like it's going to be quite unpredictable because it does not seem like this, this pandemic is going away anytime soon. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I think that was my main takeaway when I when I saw this is that it gives you essentially a month, right? M- like looking at what MLS just said that they were going to do, which is start their regular season as normal in March because the men's side of the game has a very crowded international fixture calendar and they don't necessarily have the freedom to be like oh yeah we can start later you know challenge cup they've also said in in the release okay potentially we could play in a bubble of some kind again if we had to or maybe we get home markets maybe there's some strange combination of the two which is weird but also like you don't actually have to commit to anything right at the moment but obviously the regular season implies every team is you know traveling right we are going to play in home markets i'm also guessing that and it was all much like MLS needs people to be back in the stands yeah. for money. Like, again, mm-hmm. you know, this is very much a, a financial implication. So, yeah, I do think that having the Challenge Cup at the start of the season, maybe there is potential for that to eventually move. But I, I am glad that we are adding some additional trophies into the mix here. I mean, you look at the the Women's Super League and, and having FA Cup happen at the same time, having Continental Cup happen at the same time, right? right? Like, we also see this, obviously, in Premier League, but having multiple competitions, right, to allow for roster rotation, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's an important step in the development of the league. Yeah, and it's nice that, you know, now they have this this third trophy that they can compete for if you count the shield and then the, the obviously the championship. Um, you know, probably don't need to go full on Europe where you have four or five competitions <laughs> a year, and right? Players are playing on two and a half days rest. Um, but uh, yeah, I think having something like this is, is a good idea. And, um, you know, obviously I'd like to eventually see something like a, a Club World Cup for, right. you know, again, this, it, that would only impact one team. Um, but, uh, as much of, as much of that type of high level, uh, competition that draws as many eyeballs as possible. Right. Let's talk expanded playoffs, which I think it might be, I kind of think it's a year too early to make this move. We are at 10 teams, you know, by 2022, I think the, the idea is that we would be at 12. Sacramento is still very much kind of up in the air, despite, having the paperwork kind of across the line as far as, as my sources have said, but now the year of entry is maybe a little more up for grabs. Um, but if nothing else, we definitely have Angel City FC coming in. I do think that if Sacramento is not necessarily the team, another one might be waiting in the wings to potentially take that other expansion slot for 2021, though that remains to be determined and might 
also honestly be impacted by what happens in Utah this offseason because there's only so many things that a small front office can handle at any given time. Um, six teams now in the playoffs. So for year one of this new expanded playoffs, six of 10 teams will make it in top two teams in the league, get a first round by what's your initial reaction to, to the move? Yeah, I don't like it. I'm a, I'm kind of a purist <laughs> when it comes to that. And, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about the American dichotomy with soccer is that we, we have a playoffs, right? So that's very different from a European style where the shield, as we call it, or whatever would be the, the mm-hmm. pinnacle, right? Uh, you win the EPL by finishing at the top of the table of the regular season. And we don't, we, yes, we give a trophy, but honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, I don't think anybody really cares about that, right? We put the NWSL championship at the top yep. of the mountain. And so uh, Diluting the importance of the regular season more, I, I don't love, um, and I, I I've always kind of liked keeping it uh, keeping it tight the way it is and making those games important because, you know, the last month and a half of the NWSL season, everything's on the line, and obviously that's going to be diminished a little bit. I think, um, you know, a lot of these years you you would see eight of nine teams that were still potentially right. in it with a month to go. Uh, and you still might see that now with six spots, but it's, I don't know. I, in my yeah. opinion, I just think it takes away some of the fun because some of the teams are going to qualify earlier um, as a result too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And I think one of the things that I think when I used to work for the league, one of the the big things that I always looked at MLS that I thought was really good and exciting and entertaining was actually decision day, right? Having mm-hmm. that final round of matches, like have real stakes and weight to it. And I think, if you kept the playoffs at four teams, you'd have a much greater chance at turning decision day into a a major event rather than an additional round of playoffs. But again, additional round of playoffs also means an additional game, which means additional money. So Mm -hmm. like I I get the business side of it, but yeah, I, I do think, you know, probably later down the line, I would have, been a little more like, oh yeah, six six teams. All right, I, I do get the the impulse, but I do think that at this point in time, it does feel like it's a little early for the league. Yeah, and I don't I don't follow other sports very much anymore. Yeah. But I, there there was a point where it, I can't remember if it was hockey or basketball where it was like basically everybody but last place, you know, in each division was getting in, and it's, it just kind of ruins the regular season for me. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, looking at how MLS playoffs work too, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of in the same boat in terms of it does not take a lot to necessarily make MLS playoffs yeah. at some point, right? Um, I mean, the fact that DC United was kind of in the mix for, for playoffs this season was just remarkable considering the season that they've had. So, yeah, I think it will be very interesting, though, on the flip side, you know, that potentially – gives us some narratives that maybe, you know, we saw kind of in the Challenge Cup in terms of because these are, I'm sure, going to still be like single round eliminations, you might get a fun run from that yeah. sixth place team. You might get a, a Sky Blue FC upsetting someone on their way to the next round. So I do think that that is kind of the joy of NWSL is the fact that generally any team can take any team on any given day, right? Yeah. Like, um but it will, I think, definitely mean that the regular season becomes a little less 
for sure. You can, you can drop some results here and there and not necessarily right. have that same impact. So, right. All right. Final, final big topic I wanted to hit with you just as uh, both of us are actually on the executive committee for NWSL Media Association. And so I think we've had a very interesting year from that point of view <laughs> for 2020, just in terms of as someone who has been doing this for a while and, and has kind of, you know, been on both the men's and women's side of the game, which is not necessarily the case for a lot of us, right? What are your main takeaways from 2020 in terms of when you're looking at NWSL coverage? Did we did we have wins? Did we have challenge? Like you know, both of us are are in that slack, <laughs> so we know what the challenges are. But did we get wins when it comes to NWSL coverage? Do you think? I think the the coverage of the league is in a really interesting place because. Um, one of the wins that I would say that we did get out of this year was that the, because we were forced into these, you know, types of quarantine situations, I was able to watch or call in to many more press conferences than I would for teams that aren't in my local market. So as much as I missed, you know, driving down to SeatGeek and, and seeing the game live and talking to the players and the coaches after the game and seeing our good friends, Sandra and Claire and, um, all of that. It was interesting for me to be able to have access to players and coaches after games that I wouldn't normally uh, have had access to. So I do think that's a win. I don't, I don't know if that'll continue or not. Um, or not. And, and I wonder how that'll proceed going forward. I, I would say too, though, the, the part that I think is most fascinating is that depending on which market you live in, your local paper is either taking an increased interest in your team or no interest at all in your team. And it really changes the dynamic, I think, for um, a lot of us who are locally based or, you know, if you look at, again, you know, being Chicago based, obviously, you know, our friends, uh, Sandra and Claire run Southside Trap Podcast, and they have a very kind of intimate connection with the team. And so we see a lot of that. But then in our market, we also have um, the Sun-Times taking a greater interest uh, in the team now. And so yeah, you're yeah, seeing, yeah. right, and so you're seeing local coverage really for the first time. And I don't, I don't mean that as an insult, but like I've literally gone to U.S. national team games in Chicago and right next to me was a, was a placard for a Sun-Times or Tribune reporter who was not there, um, who didn't even bother to come to the game. And so, you know, the, the fact that you're seeing in some markets this, like Utah, has three or four local outlets who cover their team. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's right. That's fantastic. You don't get that. But then in Portland, we're seeing less coverage than we used to on the local level. Right. In Houston, they used to have a beat reporter. And now, as far as I know, they don't. And so you've got this weird dynamic where in certain markets, you're getting this hyper coverage on a local. And then in other markets, you're only getting uh, these people who are kind of very much focused on the league and, the, and their one team. So we're just kind of all over the place. Um, and, and we really only have, I think, you know, by my count, two full-time WOSO reporters who are covering the league in general. So it's getting better in some ways and it's getting worse in other ways. Right. And it's really kind of hard to put any sort of normalized metric um, to the coverage. Yeah. I mean, I think, so Jeff and I, Jeff Kasuf and I, I think are the two that count as full-time and obviously, you know, Part of the, the distinction even between the two of us is the fact that 
Equalizer, both of us are on that subscriber model, right? Like Equalizer Mm -hmm. is subscriber driven, but Athletic is obviously, you know, kind of like in that mainstream sports world, right? Right. To the extent that, that Equalizer is not. And so, you know, that's kind of the thing that I did expect out of 2020 is for other places like ESPN, right? Like that's another thing we can talk about. ESPN is not renewing the contract of Graham Hayes, who right. is like kind of the the person on women's sports, really, and and is the only person that regularly touches women's soccer. Not even really NWSL, like he doesn't have the bandwidth for that, but he is like the guy for ESPN on on the U.S. women's national team, yep. and that's going to be going away. Um, and instead, like I was expecting, okay, they're going to look at what we're doing over here at the Athletic and go. Why aren't we doing that? And that has not happened. <laughs> and instead, like, again, like, I think as you're saying, like, we're getting better in some aspects and then taking steps back, st- steps back in others. So, yeah, you know, and I've, I've said this to other people and I've probably said this to you before, too, but I, I feel like I kind of got a little bit lucky in that I came out of college when the newspaper industry was dying, because like if I had come out five years earlier, I would probably be caught up in these just rolling layoffs that we've seen through the industry over the last 10 years or so. And it's really tough. I remember, you know, covering the the gold cup in Chicago and seeing a number of reporters there who, you know, were in the process of being let go or uh, had just been let go. And so it's, it's, it's very hard to judge overall, especially right now, just because, you know, we know that some of these layoffs are pandemic related uh, but certainly industry-wide, it's it's definitely gone down, I would say, overall. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to end it. I don't want to end it on that note. But <laughs> let's um let's think of a good, happy topic to end on. What was your favorite moment of 2020 in women's soccer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and you didn't ask me ahead of time, so I had no I know. Here. I know. I'm really putting you on the spot, <laughs> like, because I just thought of it in my head. And I, I can give you my answer if it helps. No, I have an answer, but go ahead. Okay. You, you want to go first? <laughs> All right. Mine is... Just don't uh, steal mine. Okay. Well, hopefully hopefully <laughs> I won't. Mine is, honestly, Christy Mewis with the Budweiser's after, okay. after the Challenge Cup. I think that is... I think it just speaks to both the insanity and joy of the NWSL, but also increased sponsorship, right? The fact that the game was on CBS, um, the fact that there is a full bar stocked with Budweiser waiting for that team after the win, but then also to see like Christy Mewis getting her moment of success mm-hmm. after the career that she's had. And like, it's just kind of like this nice, perfect moment, I think, that speaks to a lot of different elements of women's soccer, but also just has the joy of Christy Mewis getting absolutely wasted <laughs> and partying the entire night. Yeah. And I think just to go off of that too, we, we really have to give Lisa Barrett a lot of credit for how well the NWSL did. I mean, talk about extraordinary circumstances to be thrown into. And I think you could make a very strong argument that the league is going to come out of this year stronger than it came into the, which is insane, which is yes. absolutely insane when you think about it. Um, my, my answer is actually very close to yours. I was going to just say the Houston dash overall. Um, I think for their players who in, if we're being honest in a lot of cases, were kind of cast offs of other teams, um, and for their coaches and for their fan base too, because, you know, just being in the, in the punditry world a little bit, I think there've been a lot of times where we thought this is the year, right? 
Houston's finally going to turn it around and then it just fizzled out. And this has happened, you know, three or four years. And this year they actually did it. And that was such a nice story uh, for their players, for their coaches, for their fans. All right. That's, I think this is a much better place to end the spot. So John, tell folks where they can find you, where they can find your work, anywhere that you would like to send them in particular. Sure. Most of my stuff's on the equalizer. Um, and I'm on Twitter at John D Halloran. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for also, uh, rolling with the punches as I have technical difficulties in the joy of living in New York city, as I don't even know what is currently happening outside. This might be my Wi-Fi provider actually doing work on my building. Could not even tell you. But thank you for for hanging out and talking U.S. Women's National Team and NWSL. Anytime. Again, thank you to John for joining the show. Also, his patience as I managed to survive the Wi-Fi outage here as well. One programming note for everyone listening. Don't expect a new episode on Thursday next week. Obviously, it is Thanksgiving here in the States. I'll still be around to have some coverage of Friday's U.S. versus the Netherlands game on the athletic site, so stay tuned for that, of course, after the game. I'm hoping to maybe have a bonus episode for you early in the week. It depends on if an interview comes through, so just keep your eyes on the feed, but don't expect something on Thursday morning. I hope everyone here in the U.S. has a happy Thanksgiving. One more thing, uh, as always, you might have seen the journey that I went on via my, my Twitter feed, but I do have to state for the record, I already really liked the cookie dough bites that Ben and Jerry makes, but then they dropped gingerbread cookie dough bites for the holiday season, and all I have to say is find them. If you like gingerbread, it is my favorite flavor of the holiday season. Shout out to my home state uh, Dunkin' Donuts for actually still having it as an option for coffee. But if you like gingerbread, if you like cookies, it is a win-win. I highly, highly recommend it. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed to this show. If you are enjoying the show, if you are enjoying my recommendations for gingerbread cookie dough bites, There must be a few of you who are. Um, But if you would like other people to listen to this, (laughs) please share the show, retweet, tell a friend. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Athletic itself, wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, a giant thank you to everyone who has left a review and rated the show on Apple. It does also seem like the mailbag episode that I did a few weeks ago was also pretty popular based on these reviews and Twitter. So if you are down for another mailbag before the end of the year on the podcast, let me know so I can get it on the schedule. Again, also, if you enjoy this podcast and you do not yet subscribe to The Athletic but would enjoy more women's soccer coverage and more sports coverage, the link to do that is theathletic.com slash full time. As always, you can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Again, please do not ask me when the NWSL schedule is out. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I am Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. Thank you.